All right, we'll get started. Um, uh, Fred asked me to, to uh, substitute for him this morning, and I uh, couldn't quite understand where he was in systematics, because it seems like he's paused and gone backwards and forwards a little bit. So uh, I just chose something to do this morning, and so my goal this morning is to uh, make you um, uh, repent of your cultural uh, Christmas that you're celebrating this year, and so we're going through a history of Christmas in the United States, and I already told someone, and they said they weren't coming, and they are not here, so, um, uh, but, but just to, to cop out utterly is that I presented to Christina, like, what would you rather hear? The history of evangelicalism in the United States for the last hundred years, or the history of Christmas? And she goes, I think Christmas is like, all right, it's on you. Uh, so it's Christina's fault. And so uh, let me pray, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get started. And, and, you know, of course, be open to discussion as well. And uh, as we, we continue this time of Advent, let us be focused on um, the marvel of, of the incarnation of Christ. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for... Uh, the ability for uh, your church to gather here on the Lord's Day, uh, those you have called out of darkness into light, uh, redeemed by the, the, the hearing of the gospel through the power of, of God, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we rest and are comforted while still being sinners at the same time being saints. And we look forward to the time of the return of Christ, uh, when he ushers in a true end uh, to sin and death. Lord, we pray for his kingdom to come. We pray until such a time that we would be faithful, that we would be empowered by the Spirit and the Word, united in fellowship of the saints in our local assembly, to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read to begin. Um, it's a bit lengthy, but it's considered one of the uh, greatest kind of explanations of the importance of the incarnation. Is by early church father. His name is Athanasius. Uh, if you've never heard of him, you've probably heard of the Council of Nicaea. If you've never heard of that, uh, you've probably heard of the Trinity. And so the, the, he was a, a, probably the preeminent voice of, of Trinitarian orthodoxy in the early church. He was uh, part of the Eastern Church and not the Western Church. Um, but he was uh, a staunch um, defender of the faith. Uh, his nickname is the Black Dwarf, uh, mostly because he was darker complected and he was short. But he's also famous for hiding in the bushes uh, to jump out in front of the emperor when on a procession to stop him to tell him to repent of his heresy. He was excommunicated or removed from office six times and put into exile. Uh, this time, if an emperor came into power who didn't believe in Orthodox Trinitarianism, they would tell the bishops or the pastors of churches, hey, fix what you're teaching or you're out. And Athanasius 
unanimously would always say, okay, I'm out, and then he would come back if a new emperor came. Anyway, he wrote a very short work in, in kind of in contemporary means, I mean, in terms of short, it's about 50 pages. Um, it's free. It's, it's, uh, it's challenging to read, I think, for most, just because of the language. I'm going to read the introduction to you. And so the whole reason to do this is that, that when we're talking about Advent and we're talking about the Incarnation, like this was a, this is a, a stamp of God's work in history as, as, as the sun steps into history in his humiliation is a monumental moment in, in salvation history. And so it, it draws us, I think, to, to consider how we actually view Advent and the things that take up our mind, our thoughts, our resources during this time. Here's what he wrote in a defense of the incarnation. And I'm going to read just a few paragraphs. Again, I, I, if, if you're familiar with any church history, some of these things he brings up will, will you know, but otherwise you might be, what's happening? And that's okay. Um, this is Athanasius. By God's grace, <clears throat> we indicate that the word of the Father is himself divine. And when he speaks of the word of the Father, he, that's, that's the Logos, that's Christ. Um, and, and that all things that are owe their being to his will and power, and that is through him that the Father gives order to creation, by him that all things are moved, and through him that they receive their being. And then he, he mentions a few people that, that are within a congregation that, that are doing well in, in teaching this. And then he goes on, For it is a fact that more unbelievers pour scorn on him, so much the more does he make his Godhead evident. The things which they, as men, rule out as impossible, he plainly shows to be possible. And that which they deride as unfitting, his goodness makes most fit. And things which these wise acres laugh at as human, he by his inherent might declares divine. Thus, by what seems his utter poverty and weakness on the cross, he overturns the pomp and parade of idols and quietly and hiddenly wins over the mockers and unbelievers to recognize him as God. Now, in dealing with these matters, it is necessary first to recall uh, what has already been said. You must understand why it is that the word of the Father, so great and so high, has been made manifest in bodily form. He has not assumed a body as proper to his own nature. Far from it. For as the word, he is without body. He has been manifested in a human body for this reason only. Out of the love and goodness of his father for the salvation of us men. We will begin then with the creation of the world and with God its maker. For the first fact that you must grasp is this. The renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the beginning. There is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation, for the one Father has employed the same agent for both works, affecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. It's pretty good, right? This is, this is, this was written 1,700 years ago. He didn't even have Calvin or anyone. He really used the term wiseacre. Yep. Well, well, I mean, I think that's how it's interpreted in the, 
He was writing in Greek. Chula, what's Wiseacre? And um, so then, what's interesting is so then, just picking up on what Athanasius was was writing. What is he? What is his foundational argument of when you're talking about incarnation? Where do you have to go? You have to go all the way back to creation, and he's and he's alluding to which verse in in Paul's. Um, epistle to the, Colossi- the Colossians. The Colossians, I just created a new epistle. For what was created, by, everything was created by him, through him. And so he's alluding to, to these scriptures that when we're talking about incarnation, you, you don't start at incarnation. You start at creation. And incarnation is is what's going to be the beginning of, that's why the, the authors of the New Testament generally are talking about the last days or the end times or that kind of thing in this broad range of between advents, between the incarnation and between the return of Christ. And they're you, you viewing this as the last age because of this moment, Incarnation being tied to the creation event because incarnation is the beginning of recreation, meaning that when Christ inaugurates his kingdom is the beginning of recreation, recreating all things. It doesn't culminate or, or, or it doesn't consummate until he returns, but that's how you're supposed to view incarnation. When we view it, we're supposed to see it as creation in Genesis. Whoa. And then the fall. And then the effect of the fall. And then the desire for the people of God to cry out for the rescue that was promised. And then the rescue, the signal of the rescue comes at incarnation. And and so when, I mean, again, this is, if, if you like just that introductory paragraph of On the Incarnation, it has that same um, level of intensity throughout. That's one of the things that makes it a great read. It's 50 pages, and you'll never kind of fall off and go like, what's he, who's he quoting, and these kind of things, like modern authors have to quote all these counter views. His counter views that he has to quote are, um, Sabellianism, which is basically modalism, which was a Trinitarian heresy. Uh, Patripassianism, which is kind of the same thing. He mentions the Gnostics. and he, So he mentions about four or five differing views. He doesn't go in, but all in all, he's just talking about this is the importance of what the incarnation means. Which brings me to the modern celebration of Christmas. Is incarnation was celebrated not singularly in the early church, meaning there wasn't a specific date. And it was, I've mentioned before, it was a movable feast where Easter, we know with pretty good preciseness, the time, the time of year, the festival um, on the Jewish calendar, all these things, when we celebrate Easter. It's still a movable feast a little bit, but not very much. It's all in the same season. Incarnation was always celebrated depending on the church, as, a, as like a, a holiday at differing times in different churches. Um, anyone know why December 25th? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. To replace it with something yeah. Christian? Okay. Are there other examples of that where the church does that historically? Well, don't just scoff. Like, say... <laughs> Okay. Interesting. Interesting. No, no, I'm just. Uh, it's better than scoffing, and then. <laughs> As you see why. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, All Saints Day. Uh, yeah. So uh, what Melissa was saying about about the the holiday of of winter solstice is is something that uh, is generally considered perhaps the main idea, but it is a bit wishy washy historically because. One of the big things that, that, that really drives that time of year as well was actually um, uh, we three kings. The, it's actually the, the astronomy of that, that was used by um, the wise men. And so, so there's a, um, a pretty good kind of a lot of historical data from the early church that they generally thought it was during the winter time because of the mapping of the stars, which is what the Magi did, is what the Babylonians did, and that's where they come from, is, is kind of old Babylon, is or, or Persia, or wherever you want to want to point it at. And it was that the, they mapped the stars, and they mapped this particular king star, and then that's how they followed. And so all that to say is we don't know, no. We don't, that's with K and not, yeah. But more than likely, and this is my, my rookie historian emphasis, would be that it's probably not an uneducated guess to say it's probably a mixture of both. And, and that kind of, the, the, in the same way that if you were to look at Easter or Halloween, these were actual times that things had happened, especially Easter, and it kind of, there was just the fact that there was a pagan spring festival and things like that. The church generally, and especially in the earliest times, didn't really concern itself with trying to overthrow the pagan traditions of Rome because they had no power to do so. And so the cell, any celebration they did would look utterly different. So like an Easter celebration or, or a Christmas or an incarnation celebration in the early church wouldn't have had pomp and festival and all kinds of debauchery and drunkenness and all these things. It would have looked like any, any church service. There would have been preaching, there would have been song, there would have been the Lord's table, there would have been giving, there would have been almsgiving and things like that. It would have looked way different. Um, now, <laughs> all that history to go, Christmas in the United States, what do you... As you say, so, so your childhood, and even now if you have children, um, what is the emphasis on Christmas? Come on, give me more than that. No, it's, come on. 
you're just going to just go. And so, <laughs> indulging children, just say it, overindulgence of children. What else? Okay. You put a tree inside your house. What else? A big meal. Big meal. Sure. Yep. <laughs> what else? Lying. Yeah. <laughs> Justifying lying. Ah. Oh, how far we've fallen. Um, now, I, I say this all to say, I'm not here to crush your coming week. Um, I have a Christmas tree. We have presents. Uh, I also am, a, am, am practicing, you know, pagan idolatry like the rest of you. But does anyone know where that comes from? Or even how long it's been practiced. No. No. That's really close. Yes. So Christmas as a celebration say, in medieval times, was no different than Mardi Gras. It was drunken revelry. People would celebrate Christmas in exactly the same way that they celebrate Mardi Gras. And so it would became, when, when the, and, it was, and it was this way for, through the Reformation and everything like that. And when the first Puritan colonies that were here guess what they did with Christmas? They made it illegal to celebrate celebrate Christmas, not incarnation, Christmas. Why? We already listed it all. Overindulgence of children is bad for society because it it teaches them wrong ideas of their place in the world. Um, the, the overindulgence of eating and drinking to excess, which became a thing. And, and even the, the, what, what they would do in, in Europe, in medieval Europe, is what it was an opportunity for those who were lower on the economic scale to where they made these feasts available for them, you know, through, through taxes and whatnot. And so it became like the whole city would basically become Mardi Gras. And so when... when it came when, when people started coming to the New World and these, these colonies began to uh, be planted, they, they all made Christmas celebration illegal. Not incarnation, but Christmas, all the stuff we're talking about. But say it again, Sharon, the name of the... The night before Christmas. Everyone say it out loud. Now, now, by the way, this is like me asking you to recite what the prophets of Baal were saying, but like the, the night before Christmas. Who? Yeah. Yeah. 
See, I only knew the first line, so I'm very... Two businessmen in the early 20th century commissioned someone to create that. And Christmas was transformed from a raucous adult celebration to a family-centric. And the reason they did it, well, number one was to make money, but number two was to make it appealing to society. And so the legality of Christmas in the United States is within your, depending on who you are, within my great-grandparents' lifetime. And so the traditions that we have, I love the skeptic looks I have. You can, this, is all, this is all easy to find. Uh, I, I, well, what's the book I recommend? No, I don't recommend it. I'll, it'll make you cry. But um, The Battle for Christmas and it's a historian's book, and he is, he's an um, unbeliever, and so his conclusions are, are, are not good, but his, his historical research is really <laughs> embarrassing, and so don't read it. But, but anyway, this was, a, this was a, a marketing ploy. And, and so what are some of the things that come along with it? Now, now, this is not, like I already said, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I've, you know, I've done the same thing. My house looks exactly like yours, probably not as much lights. Um, but, but what are we celebrating? It's okay to have fun. I don't, don't get all, you know, like, I, right? But, like, shouldn't we know where things come from that we do? And so what are your thoughts? Now that you know that. If you didn't know that before. Mm -hmm. Lies. (laughs) Let's be honest to you. It's... Things. No, but it, it's interesting though how things are co-opted. Though, like, like you can turn on certain news channels and like, and this city is for the first time not lighting their Christmas tree, but we want to put Christ back in Christmas. You're like, now I want to. Pull, I just want to burn that. I just, it's like I realized that was there for the first time. As I was talking, I was like, wow. What else was in here? 
I need to pay more attention to aesthetics. So. Oh man, what a line. We still do all the pagan stuff. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, what is that? general joyfulness for the time of year, and then you kind of push, like, well, why is this a joyful time of year? Because of Christmas, like, okay, you're going in a circle. Like, let's go back to... Uh, I remember when Josh was was little, somehow, I have a co- an older cousin, uh, he never calls, and, and to be fair, I never call him, but he found out somehow, I'm guessing through my mother or my sister, that Christina and I told Josh, Santa Claus, because he was, I don't know how old he was, but it was just like, we're giving you presents at this time of year. We give you three, because that's how many, you know, like, that's what they brought to G- whatever it might be. And and my cousin called me, and he's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, can you be more specific? I mean, like, <laughs> and and he was like, you know, imagination's not a bad thing. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, okay, I agree. Imagination's good. How are you? And then he started going like, you got to let your kid have an imagination. It's okay if he believes in Santa Claus. I was like, what? Like, I don't think you called me on my birthday. Like, but he was, he was really upset with me. And I remember just being like, that is the strangest conversation. That's the man who led me to Christ. And so I was just like, okay. And then talk to you in a year. You know, kind of, it was one of those strange things, but like, it's very ingrained, like that. That when when Christmas comes around, and so so let me offer a um, Christmas tree branch to you in this way: is is how then can we, if we partake, as as everyone's saying, of these certain cultural things, how can we make sure that we are reforming our our households to make sure that the center of this time of year is is about incarnation and not all of the cultural stuff. Okay. Yeah, this is a lot of sharing yeah. from the Lupton household. <laughs> but but seriously, how when we talk about always be reforming, like how can we look at not not just maybe Christmas is the starting point. Things that are we are totally affected by as a cultural dynamic, making sure that that too is reformed based on the truth of Scripture. I think the, first, the, the number one one was mentioned, right? 
Santa Claus. There is no guy mysteriously making his rounds around the world who has, probably has type 2 diabetes coming down your chimney, eating food, telepathically understanding all your thoughts. Like, are we willing at the very, very lowest level to say, probably not focused on the incarnation to tell our children that guy's real? <laughs> well, who was real? Sure, but was Nicholas doing that during incarnation celebration? No. No, Nicholas was doing that, but he was doing what the commands of Christ were. Well, that's, that's my point. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, Nicholas. And he was simply doing what, he, he was moved to do what Christ commanded him to do, take care of orphans and so, uh, or those in need. And so that was kind of the idea of, of Santa Claus. Also, someone mentioned it like Chris Kringle and, and kind of these kind of things are kind of these uh, Nordic traditions come out of the Netherlands and things like that. Yeah. We had no wooden shoes. That was just, that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, like especially like um, like Germanic cultures and things like that, where the Christmas tree was kind of originated in and things like that. So Luther's a big defender of the Christmas tree. Um, he, he thought that every mark of the Christmas tree, or at least the way. So this maybe is a point of kind of what we were just talking about, like in terms of um, what you're what you're showing people. So the Christmas tree, in particularly Germanic culture was was done with the with lanterns and things like that and every part of the tree decoration was a dedication to some type of christian truth and you would you would read the scriptures to your children and things like that so there was no but again there was no weird guy coming to bring gifts but yeah certainly like christmas trees even wreaths and mistletoe and all that stuff has um, several hundred years of tradition in terms of festal festive celebration around incarnation but yeah but that's not global is that what you're asking or right yeah <laughs> yeah well, but I was focusing on our pagan idolatry. And so, 
That's a good question. I, I didn't research for that. Yeah. Yeah, like some of the things that Jenny was mentioning and others. Yeah, they, they're yeah, like in in the Mallory. Yeah, there's obviously some kind of creepy thing that does stuff on in winter. But again, that has more to do with, I, I believe, more to do with with uh, paganism and 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 after effects of of kind of. Christianized culture still having some of these kind of leftovers if you want to. Um, this is from uh, the book, The Battle for Christmas, uh, a visit from St. Nicholas. So this Christmas season was always an important occasion in the life of John Pintard, a prominent New York City merchant and civic leader of the early 19th century. He went to bed on the evening of December 31st, 1820. He was looking forward to the schedule he had carefully laid out for the celebration of New Year's Day, New Year's Day the season's end. First, he would get up early for a private chat with his daughter, who was married but still lived in the household. Next, there would be a devotional morning exercise at a nearby Episcopal church. The middle hours of the day would be devoted to an extended round of ceremonial and friendly visits with acquaintances and colleagues from around the city. Finally, in mid-afternoon, he would return to his Wall Street home where the entire household would, as he put it, uh, assemble around our festive boards with a little family party, a meal of venison and other holiday dishes that had been prepared weeks in advance and punctuated by a series of toasts, drunk with all affection and old-fashioned formality. He managed the next day to go through most of the activities he had planned, but only after his night's sleep had been interrupted not once, but twice. First, in the middle of the night, with the household sound asleep, his daughter was awakened when she heard someone take a key and deliberately open the door. The family knew that the New Year's Eve marked the peak of rowdy Christmas revels in New York, so the reason to fear the presence of an intruder was real. He roused his wife, Mama, as he referred to her in the letter written very early the next morning. I threw on my clothes in haste, and down we sallied, it's <laughs> a great word, to investigate found the back parlor door ajar, but nothing out of place. As it turned out, the noise was only a false alarm. The family's servant had merely arisen early in order to light a fire in the study, so he returned to bed. But no sooner had he fallen asleep than he was roused again, this time by bands of loud revelers marching down Wall Street and directly outside his house, banging on drums, blowing pipes and whistles, and all the while loudly proclaiming the New Year. The revelers did not leave and, in fact, kept him up for the rest of the night. They interrupted all repose until daylight. When I arose to take a little rest till nine, and what this episode reveals is two incompatible styles of celebrating the holiday season. One of them, with his daytime, John's daytime affair, was familial and formal and quiet. The other, with revelers in the street, was nocturnal, aggressively public, and just as noisy as they could make it. It was a, in short, celebration it was it was a carnival the two styles came into conflict in the household and a visit from sorry came in the household only two years before 
when his friend Clement Clark Moore wrote his poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, the accountant on a rather different kind of nighttime visitation during the Christmas season. The Christmas is not artificial, for Pinard himself played a role in development of Christmas, which he was one of the two guys. One might even say his role was that of, well, never mind, I'm not going to read that. So, so the, the point being that I was bringing up as St. Nicholas was mentioned and Nicholas was mentioned, in the very beginning, Nicholas was co-opted as a figure. St. Nicholas, who gave gifts to orphans in Greece, was then co-opted as this eternal individual who continually did gifts and and the, what began the idea of him visiting households was in the mind of this man the night when he was woken up by noise and the door being opened up was the dawn of the idea of St. Nicholas visiting your house. Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do here is anyone who still has not told their children whether they're adults or little ones that Santa Claus is not real, I beg you. And uh, please don't take communion today if that has not happened in your household. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, and so, and so the, 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 the reality is, is that I want to confront us with not brushing off cultural things that I think really affect how uh, consistent you are and what you say, what you believe versus what, what you practice. And especially, and again, I keep bringing it to children. Um, <laughs> when your children, like I remember finding out that Santa Claus wasn't real. I didn't, li- I didn't live in a, in a believing household. I remember, I remember third grade. I remember the kid's name. And, and I'm not going to say it out loud, but this was, this was, I lived in Lake Nebagaman, Wisconsin, which is close to Duluth and Superior area. And we're, he was sitting by the window and it was like the teacher wasn't around. We we're all talking and people were talking about Christmas and Santa Claus. And he was just kind of sitting there looking out the window, looking cool. And he kind of turned to everybody and goes, Santa Claus isn't real. And everybody's like, what? And then he started deconstructing all the stuff as a third grader and he's surrounded by this whole third grade class of boys and we're all like what and then we beat him up and then and then and then went home and then I remember like just that Christmas like staying up I'm staying up stayed up heard some movement and I, as a third grader, had the art of opening the door quietly and then looked down the hallway. And with the house we lived in, my room was like the last room. And there was a long hallway to the living room, dining room, where the tree was. And there, there were my parents. And I was like, we all sit on a throne of lies. And then kind of didn't feel bad that I'd already opened all my presents and saw what I was getting. But I say that to, I still remember that, to the reality of like, is it okay to lie to your parents? Is it okay to lie? I mean, is it okay to lie to your children? 
No. Do we need Santa Claus to make this time of year incarnation? No. And so I, I want to give a few tips. When it comes to gifts, and many of you probably do this, make the gifts as a reflection of the gifts that were brought to Christ. And, and not only that, it'll help you with overindulging. If your kids know they get three presents, is that okay? Is that stingy? <laughs> no, no, you don't have to take my advice on it because, like, is, is that okay? I'm saying, like, if the if the reason we're even having this celebration is because the a incarnation of Christ, which isn't why society shuts down, by the way, right? The, the Christmas season and, and all the time that schools get off and all these things, it's not because everyone believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, who came in in, in humiliation to free his people from bondage. And that's not why everyone gets off. Like, like, like everyone that gets off of work, everyone that does all the celebrations, you know, go to a mall this week and, and watch the madness. And, and in the, you know, it's like the only time that people shop at malls anymore. Like, like when you have all the online shopping, like anyone that lives in Fairfield, like, oh, what day is it? It's the day after Thanksgiving. Okay, I have to drive I got to go this way and I got to go down Shield. I got to go all the way to Mushki because if I go anywhere near the mall, it's Mad Max. Um, but that's not why the, the, the spirit of Christmas and that kind of stuff, like the, the proper question to ask someone who says that, who is an unbeliever, is like, what do you mean by that? You're excited that you don't have to work? Yeah. Well, why don't you have to work? What is the spirit of Christmas? Get rid of Santa Claus, get rid of the Grinch, get rid of all these kind of things, except for Charlie Brown's Christmas. Everyone should watch that every year. Um, Linus is the man. But the reality is, is that unless we're willing to cut away the excesses, the overindulgence, and, and, and even lose sight of, of some of the stuff like That's how, and it may, you, may, you can disagree with me, but that's how the opposite of Paul's admonition to the Romans in chapter 12 happens. Rather than being transformed by the inner working of the Spirit, you're being molded by the culture outside of you. And the culture outside of us, where all this, this, this Western Christmas celebration comes from, isn't based on on anything like what we read about, what we read from, from Athanasius this morning. Like, looking at incarnation in light of creation, in light of the history of salvation moving forward, that God is, is glorified in our celebration of the Word made flesh. And so if we're going to say we're celebrating Advent, incarnation... It has to be an honest celebration. And so everything that we do during this time where we have this immense privilege in our country to take all this time to celebrate this season, it should be to the best of our ability to make sure that the incarnation is 
foremost in what we're talking about. Any thoughts? Any objections? Am I taking it too far? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, they're all crazy. No. Yeah, what's the one where there? It's a black and white. The stars are talking to each other. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, I've never seen it in my life. We watched it last week, and I was like, "What is this?" It's a wonderful life. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, name some of the other ones. That's right. It's back in theaters. It is. <laughs> I'll give you a call. I'm going I'm to call you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What else? What else is there? Christmas Carol. What's that one about? And the ghosts. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Is that a classic? It's like it's like twenty years old. But he actually he actually went to church. I watch it every year. Did he? What else? What other one? Okay, yeah. National Lampoons. The Santa Claus. Rudolph. Frosty. The Grinch. We watched them. We watched The Grinch last night, so. Holiday Inn. I've never heard. Jingle smells. Sean Hannity made a movie. All right. Oh gosh. Well, are any of them? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Not ironic that it was in Macy's. Yeah. Oh, Gremlins. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everywhere. So I haven't helped you at all this morning, right? I've just complained. And then everyone's going to be happy Fred's back next week. but Or no, not next week. We don't have Sunday school next week. Um, so 
Two things to consider that I'd leave you with that you can throw away or consider. The, the Protestant church should always be protesting and always be reforming. And what that means is when things don't line up with the, the truth of Scripture, you should protest the practice and with yourself or your family or your friends in a, in a, in a kind way. And, you know, don't walk into Starbucks like, it's all go. You know, like that's not like a, a holy place anyway. But, but the reality is we should be using Scripture to speak into our own lives when we allow things into them that perhaps maybe are not dangerous, but certainly can lead to um, frivolity and even forgetting that, that the reason um, that, that we're able to practice the freedom of what we're doing, all these things, is, 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 is because God has given it to us. Um, and, and always be reforming in the same manner, both in your life, a daily life of, of reading the Word and praying and confessing and repenting of sins, um, leading to a closer relationship with the God who has saved you. And, and if we can come across a time where an extended time of, of celebration, of, of, of Christian celebration of Advent, and look at the culture we're in and say there's so much here that's so seductive and so seemingly harmless and just, you know, fun and that kind of stuff, and then kind of you get to a place where you lie to your children and justify it, even though you wouldn't in other areas, or, or even kind of passively, you know, not with a critical eye, what you're watching on uh, Christmas movies and saying, like, what does this have to do with anything other than selling products or whatever? It might be. That's why Charlie Brown's Christmas is so good. Linus sets them straight. Um, that one wasn't mentioned, and I'm ashamed of all of you. And so someone should have mentioned it besides me, Mallory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any thought? Any final thoughts? Yeah. Sounds like paradise. No, <laughs> just kidding. But I think it's hard for Santa anyway because he's from a family that can't afford something, mm-hmm. and Santa's not coming anyway. There's right. No, there's no hope. There's no joy. Like the season's just horrible. And then the people that are alone, like it's still a whole yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, by all means, celebrate with your family, enjoy your time with parents, cousins, loved ones, friends, children, grandchildren, whatever it may be, um, but always make sure that, that the understanding, no matter what kind of traditions or festivals or whatever you might partake of, which is, is great, is always making sure that everyone understands the importance of incarnation um, in light of creation, in light of the Word made flesh, and, and, and the hope of the world to come. It's, 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 it's incarnation 
in salvation history moving forward, not as a, as a singular time, um, is going to bring more joy to the unbeliever who's brought to faith by the understanding of God's mercy and grace on them um, more than any amount of gifts or anything else that they might receive. Um, so, uh, there is no equipping class Sunday school uh, next week um, or the week after that. So, so neither on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve will there be um, this, and then the week after that, uh, Fred will continue with his um, study on dogmatics or systematics, whatever he's calling it. Yeah, so on New Year's Eve, though, during the, the 9 a.m. hour, um, uh, Michaela Bertaccini is going to come and take that time to talk. She, she hasn't been here for a while. She's the um, missionary that we, um, the, the church um, supported through training, uh, as well as sending out into northern Canada, where she ministers to First Nations. And so she hasn't been able to be here in a while to like give a report. So she's going to give a report uh, on what's been happening up there on New Year's Eve at 9 a.m. We'll send out a reminder to make sure, uh, especially if you've never, if you're new to the church and you've never met uh, Michaela, also have an opportunity after she speaks to kind of talk to her and, and get a chance to know her a little bit. So, any questions? Okay, uh, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for Advent. We thank you for um, the Word made flesh. Um, May we celebrate it in full with freedom um, to uh, enjoy a a time uh, in our culture that that we can um, set time apart and have time off and enjoy um, family and friends. Uh, Let us ever keep in front of us the reality of, of the point of this time of, of a celebration of, of the impossible, a celebrating of a work that only God could do, um, and that is the incarnation of the Word. Or may we continue uh, this Lord's Day as we move towards public worship. May our hearts and minds already be moved by the Spirit um, to focus on a celebration of your great work uh, through song and and fellowship of the saints, through prayer, through the word, and through the Lord's table. Uh, Lord, may you be glorified this day in Christ's name. Amen.